Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is the Friday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. We'll begin with this. A new scientific finding reveals the connection between COVID-19 and mental health diagnosis after contracting the virus. This week, scientists found that one in eight people with COVID-19 were diagnosed with a new psychiatric or neurological condition in the following six months, and anxiety and depression were among the most common conditions. That's Dr. Vivek Murthy, Surgeon General of the U.S., at a press conference earlier today. And so based on this news, we decided we're going to revisit a conversation regarding women and mental health. That's coming up a little bit later in the program. But first, as always, our daily update on the coronavirus right here in Georgia. Another 1,156 new cases were confirmed in Georgia yesterday, bringing the total number of cases since last March to 859,388 confirmed coronavirus cases. 16,886 Georgians have died due to the virus. And the number of hospitalizations continues to increase. We're now at 59,481 since last March. Now, in some other news, state labor officials reveal that many Georgians are still out of work due to the pandemic. Last week, first-time unemployment claims came in at about 33,000. Now, this is actually down some 5,500 from the previous week. Still, the largest group of people filing for unemployment last week were in the hotel and food industry. Also, Pay attention to this. According to the Georgia Labor Department, many Georgians have already reached their 52-week benefits allowance and they need to reapply. And finally. Beauty, grit, pain, anger, and perseverance. That was a style of rapper and actor DMX that you just heard on NPR. Born Earl Simmons, DMX has died. According to a statement from his family, he died today at at a White Plains hospital after being on life support for the past few days. Journey on. And Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Pick a word, any word, to describe this last legislative session at the Georgia Capitol. Now, from a $27 billion budget to a massive overhaul of states' voting laws, lawmakers approved several new measures, but there are also a few lesser-known bills that passed and some that didn't pass at all. Now, the folks over at the Georgia Budget Policy Institute always have an interest in what's taking place down at the Gold Dome. And joining me now for a recap and assessment is Amanda Hollowell. She's the Director of Strategic Campaigns of the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute. And Amanda Hollowell, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Hi, thank you for having us on. Uh, Before we get into all of this, how would you describe this past legislative session? I don't know if you can come up with one word or maybe give me a few if you would like. Hmm. I, I, there's multiple feelings that are happening right now, but I, I would say uh, missed opportunities, but a future of opportunities to gain. Hmm. But before we also dig into all of that, for folks that may be wondering, because I have you all been on this show so many times, and I've actually had people say, Rose, what do they do over there? And I say, well, they do a lot, but I'm going to let you answer that. <laughs> I mean, this is probably 
the biggest part of my job is explaining <laughs> what we do to other people who are not in deep in trenches of policy and tax code. And so basically we are a nonpartisan uh, nonprofit uh, policy think tank or policy institute that researches around the tax code and the budget, um, specifically in like economic mobility, education, um, health. And we try to write reports, um, give data and information to offer policy solutions that are people first here in Georgia. Now, when you get the eyebrows raised response when you say we are nonpartisan, what do you say? I say that's what we are. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, I can't help how what emotions invoke from you if you hear people first policies and they don't speak to your core values, but that's what we are. So yeah, That's a good answer. Let's go back, though, before the session began, because as we always do, we all we talk to you all about your the, the sort of your priorities list as you do annually and included this year, obviously building healthy communities, supporting families, education is always a big one. Um, and also you all talked about, I'm going to quote you here, advancing prosperity through fiscal responsibility. So would you say that most of those issues were addressed in a way with measures that passed that sort of addressed what you all were talking about? So I would say, you know, right now our state legislator had an amazing opportunity to really discuss how and where we're putting those dollars. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, as we move forward, we still approved a budget with about $850 million worth of cuts. Mm -hmm. um, and so for us, it's really talking about now that we have this American Rescue Plan um, and this opportunity to about $4.9 billion that need to be appropriated. Um, there are some great opportunities over the next couple of months for lawmakers and for state leadership to really look at our budget and say, where do we need to put these services? Um, really thinking about what does K through 12 education need? What, what does health support and services need? Um, and what do our social services need? Um, as you mentioned before, you started with unemployment numbers um, and the challenges there. Those challenges still exist. It was understandable last year with the pandemic and everything, and then there were cuts that had to be made throughout a lot of the agencies and departments. For folks wondering, were there any additional cuts made? Was, was most of that money put back overall throughout the, for the state agencies and departments? How would you there were that? some, yeah, sorry for interrupting. No, there were fine. some moments where we did put money back, um, f focusing on rural health and um, the, some e some education, like in transportation. So, you know, like there was a, um, there was intention there, right, to understand and, and uh, acknowledge uh, that there are some challenges. There was also some um, notes in the budget um, that acknowledge the funds that are coming from the federal state, from the federal um, um, in response to COVID. So there are moments throughout the budget that we saw that there was a step towards progress, but we can also uh, do better. Let's focus on then on public health and health and wellness overall. Every legislative session, you all get this question. I get the question. Everybody asks the question about, okay, what needs to be done here? We always start with looking at, you know, Medicaid expansion. That didn't happen. So, I, I, but I will ask, you know, through your lens, through what you all are saying, the importance of that. But once again, I mean, there's been some talk, some movement, but again, nothing has come out of it. Uh, you all still hold the same viewpoint that that needs to happen. Yeah, period, right? Like we saw what happened uh, with the health concerns and honestly, like the devastation in the beginning of COVID-19 in Southwest Georgia. You hear the reports of rural hospitals closing throughout the state. Right. And so we can't just walk away from it um, and say, like, maybe because they don't have an appetite for it. When we know people are sick, you gave some very overwhelming uh, COVID-19 numbers about who's died, who's mm -hmm. sick, who's hospitalized. We need to address those issues. Um, and I would say even more so now that we have an amazing, robust program and subsidies and dollars from the federal government right now that are encouraging states that have not expanded Medicaid to expand Medicaid. I think if anything, as uh, our fearless leader, Taifa Butler always says, if not now, then when? Mm -hmm. Well, and look, every year you all also in terms of education and the funding mechanism that's that the state uses uh, in terms of being able to allocate dollars to schools, to districts. Look, Governor Brian Kemp, he did opt to restore 60 percent of the cuts made to education from last year. Uh, let's step forward. 
But again, how do you all access, assess where the state, what else, what else the state needs to do when it comes to education? Right. And we super appreciate that effort, right? But 60% is not 100%. And so that 40% uh, that student, that school districts have to look at too, they'll have to actually use federal funds to backfill those dollars instead of actually looking for ways to get students back into in-person teaching or improving safety measures as far as HAVAC or more supplies and air filters or uh, PPE for students. So again, you know, we have this amazing opportunity to really, really push Georgia forward. And it's going to take some brave, some brave ideas and some brave movements. Uh, but I, I appreciate the, the steps, but I think we can go full uh, when we look at the dollars that are being sent to the state. Let's then focus on dollars for a moment. Let's stay with that because you all have also been proponents of, listen, how can the state do a better job of balancing the tax code here? What did you see this legislative session that did or did not happen? We appreciate steps like the uh, tax cut that was initiated um, that would probably provide $63 uh, for married couples. But in the same sense, we also saw uh, huge tax breaks for, for corporations. And and again, the theme of putting business over people stayed in, in, in here. And so our idea is this in this moment, if you hear people are hurting, then why are we not putting people first? Why are we not looking at initiatives when we have um, this, these dollars to look at an earned income tax credit uh, that instead of $63, we're putting away about $500 in people's pockets. That answers to those basic needs of helping pay a bill, helping going to the hospital and co-pays, or just even buying tires. I do want to stay with education just for one more moment because there was so much debate about the passage uh, as it relates to the special needs voucher. Uh, depending on whom you ask, it was a benefit, it was not. How did you all see this? We completely understand uh, the the want or um, behind vouchers. We also understand the mechanism behind vouchers is essentially taking public funds to private schools, um, and also that there are no federal. Um, there's not many federal regulations um, that happen, and the tax the tax credit in itself needs to be audited. So for us, it's. Yes, we understand the need, but we also need to actually have a real honest conversation about the reevaluation and fraud that can happen in those tax credits. And then also, like, are these kids going to real schools that actually live up to the state requirements mm -hmm. for education? You know, we saw the passage in terms of the expands paid parentally for state employees. Again, another step forward. But I imagine also there are some other steps that either didn't happen or just stayed stagnant that you all want to address. Yeah, there was a great bill out there um, that actually addressed pay equity and banning salary history. And that speaks directly to gender equity for women. And, and so, you know, they actually call this a she session because of how many women have left the workforce to return home. Mm -hmm. So why are we not making priority of that legislation that does prioritize gender um, in a moment to make sure that women are going back to the workforce um, at a equitable rate? Well, we know another session will be will will start, but what are you all going to be paying attention to? I imagine other than Medicaid, we've talked about that. What else is on that high priority list? And we've talked about education. So what else is there? The really the biggest high priority list is the four point nine billion dollars. Um, really, that they they didn't really appropriate for it, and we know the governor has asked for committees uh, to be formed to figure out how to add those dollars. But if anything, especially for the community. It is important to ask them to get these dollars in the budget, to get them into long-term programming, because that is how we respond to recovery here in Georgia from COVID-19. Uh, not just the one-time federal payment, but actually investing in long-term services and programming that helps all of Georgia. When we talk about, as we wrap up, when we talk about a thriving, healthy environment for Georgia's families, for Georgia's households, Overall, then, with based on what came out of the legislation this session, this past session, and what didn't, and I know maybe a grade isn't fair, but I'm going to ask you anyway, how would you grade all those measures that did pass or did not pass in terms of really, really providing this, this landscape for Georgia to have thriving families and households? I'm going to be fair and say, if we looked at it from the lens of our work, it's a B minus. Now, if you talk to other people <laughs> and you look at it from the voter suppression and on down, that grade might be lower. But if I look at it through the lens of our work, it's mm -hmm. probably a B minus, but an amazing opportunity for improvement, as your teacher would say. 
Yes, you sound just like a teacher. Amazing opportunity for improvement. How many times have I heard that? Amanda Hollowell is the director of strategic campaigns for the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute. And we've been sort of reassessing and revisiting what did and did not take place this legislative session. And Amanda, as always, thank you for coming on and taking the This is your first time, but thank you all for always coming on and taking the time. I really appreciate it. You going to come back? Yeah, if you have me. All right, come on back. Thank <laughs> you right, so much. Great. All right. Thank you. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Georgia-based shipping giant UPS is looking to the future with electric planes. And if you're saying, really? Why? Well, that's what we said. So we're going to ask Bala Ganesh. He's the vice president of engineering at UPS. And Bala, welcome to the program. Great Great to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. Before we get to talking about all of this, someone out there says electric planes, have they even been approved? What is the process for approval of electric planes? Can you take our listeners through that? Absolutely. Yes, the the aircraft as of now is going through the approval process. So there is a mandated process by the Federal Administration, Aviation Administration, FAA, Uh, And the aircraft is right now going through flight testing through Mm -hmm. that process. And when we talk about electric planes, because look, electric planes have been around for a while. Folks need to understand this. It's not like they're they're new. They've been around. But there is a a process. And also, I imagine that technology has greatly improved uh, since the electric planes came around in the 1970s. Yeah, so uh, this is, you know, you, you really have to think about completely reimagining what's possible mm-hmm. uh, for our customers and for UPS. So uh, these aircraft can fly directly to and from UPS facilities, uh, really change the way we move goods and speeding up our network. And when we think about electric planes, should we think about electric planes in the same way we think about uh, electric cars? You know, obviously no fuel at all. We're not talking about any type of hybrid hybrid, right? Correct. We're talking about solely electric powered on a battery, correct? That's correct. Yes, it is uh, powered by a battery. And the cool thing is that uh, the unique thing about this airplane is that it can take off and land vertically. So it takes off and lands like a helicopter and then flies like an airplane. So now imagine what you can do with that, right? So Mm -hmm. you can land directly in a hospital. You can uh, potentially land directly in a business to pick up and deliver things. You can land directly into our facilities without having to go to an airport. Now, when did UPS come to this decision that they even wanted to start thinking about using electric planes in the future? And we should let our listeners know it's not like it's going to start next week. (laughs) It's going to be a couple years. Uh, So when did UPS start thinking about, you know what, let's add uh, electric planes to our delivery model here? Well, I think the the important thing for your for your view, uh, your listeners to realize is that this is about practical innovation, mm-hmm. right? So it's not like we are going after, hey, let's go look for this tool and let's see where it fits. It's more like, where's our business going? Where are our customers going? And what are the needs? And how do we find the right technology to meet those needs? And um, when we looked at uh, serving these smaller communities, mm-hmm. uh, healthcare providers. Uh, and other companies that are uh, working out of small communities, we thought this would be a great fit to uh, to serve them better uh, over time. So this is not necessarily uh, geared toward you know me sending a package to my aunt in St. Louis. It's more of if you need to get deliveries to a small rural hospital in, in rural Georgia, in, in southwest Georgia, somewhere like that. Correct, yeah. So these aircraft are capable of carrying 1,500 pounds and potentially could become even more in the future. 
So imagine that today, uh, for example, uh, we may land at Hartsfield and mm -hmm. then a smaller airplane may carry something to Augusta mm -hmm. and then it gets into a truck and then it's driven to the medical college there, for example. Mm -hmm. um, now, tomorrow, you could have a flight that goes directly from a facility, um, let's say in the smart facility here in Atlanta, and then flies directly to the hospital and then is able to deliver a 1,400-pound cargo capacity, which could include life-saving drugs, it mm -hmm. could include uh, testing equipment, or whatever the case may be, which is urgent for that community. So given, given what you just said, then let's talk about then what type of electric aircraft would be best to, to do this operation. So you all have purchased or ordered, I believe, 10 electric aircrafts from, is it Beta Technologies? That is right, yes. A company called Beta Technologies, whom we've been working with for um, a couple of years or so, and they're based out of uh, Burlington, Vermont, and mm -hmm. the, that's a company we're going to be partnering with in this area. Well, as we, and I love that word beta because you have to do some testing. Have you all even started doing any of that? You have a smile on your face. <laughs> yeah, so we are, uh, as, a, as I mentioned, uh, the aircraft is undergoing flight testing right now uh, in the upstate New York, uh, Vermont area. But right now it's being tested by the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, we we are there all the time. In fact, I'm going to be there next week uh, to talk to them, and uh, and we are participating in the design and in the testing. And then once it gets to a stage where we can um, get a certified aircraft to start uh, flying, then we will take it over uh, ourselves. Well, let's move from how this benefits. You know, obviously, in terms of the work that you all are doing or being able to deliver shipments uh, into areas that might normally would take a longer time with going from a plane then to a truck. But there's an environmental aspect to this as well. But I, I was reading where some would say, look, the electric planes won't necessarily solve the CO2 problem. What's your response to that? Well, this is one piece of a larger strategy, mm -hmm. right? So it's not like there's one silver bullet for everything. So think of this as one piece of the puzzle. Uh, but not it does two things. First of all, of course, as you mentioned, it, it reduces the emissions profile mm -hmm. or uh, the CO2 emissions. But more importantly, it also reduces the total miles a package has to travel, like I mentioned. So um, the way I look at it is the most environmentally friendly mile is the mile you just don't have to travel, right? Mm -hmm. So um, this is going to have a huge ripple effect in how this impacts our business and the community as a whole. If you had to tell our listeners about a timeline, obviously you, we are waiting, you all are waiting in terms of approval, but do you have a target date in sight? So, yes, uh, we absolutely have a target date in sight, which we are targeting. Somewhere in the 24, 2024 range is where we are shooting for. Of course, as, as you mentioned, uh, there's a lot of moving parts to this, but that's the timeline we're shooting for as of now. And what in terms about the, the pilots and, and is that is there a separate training that is needed for to to fly an electric plane as it would be for our as we say the, the good old fashioned, the good old way of, of you know flying a jet? Is there different training involved? No, it'll follow a very similar pattern, right? So uh, as today people go through the pilot training and then they get what's called a type certification or you know flying that particular type of aircraft. So it's nothing out of the ordinary uh, mm -hmm. as far as flying is concerned. And any other concerns that you all have that you're working through right now as it relates to using these electric planes in the future? I think, you know, there's always the details. As an engineering company, we always have to work through all the details to bring it all together to make sure this happens every day, day in and day out. Um, because as you, you know, we've got to be delivering those packages every day. So mm -hmm. the question is, how do you make it scalable? How do you make it uh, reliable? And how do you execute on this day in and day out? Let me ask you this: as it relates to technology and the future of, uh, we call you all, you know, shipping giants, delivery giants, such as UPS and your competitors. What else do you see on the horizon in terms of technology changing how you all do what you do? Yeah, so uh, we have this internal uh, word we use, um, and we call this building our smart logistics network. So uh, by that I mean, what are all these different pieces that we can put together to make sure we can move packages in the most efficient, effective manner mm -hmm. so that you uh, can receive your package at the right time at the right place? Not just your things you order uh, online, 
but also your uh, potentially in the future, this could be personalized medicine that is suited just for your DNA, right? So there's a variety of areas we're working on. So one area is we've, we've made a huge impact on is, and of course, the vaccine supply chain uh, recently, mm-hmm. where um, not only have we put in a full cold chain, and uh, so when I say cold chain, uh, make sure that we can keep the, the, the medicines at the right temperature when it gets to, you, to the hospitals and to the other facilities, but also making sure that we have these a variety of sensors that monitor all the ca- characteristics of the package so that medicine is kept at the right temperature all the way to uh, the time it's applied to mm-hmm. the patient. Um, in addition, uh, we've also done a lot of work with looking at how we can um, optimize our network. So um, there is things we've done uh, in how we route our packages. So, for example, if you take a, a route of our a driver, let's say, uh, it appears to be a simple problem, but mm-hmm. a driver who makes, let's say, uh, 150 stops, out of which certain stops have to be delivered a certain time, um, if you just try to calculate the various combinations of permutations of that how we can do this mm-hmm. there will be trillions and trillions of combinations and picking the most efficient way to run that route is one area we paid a lot of attention and time to and we have something uh, uh, algorithm and a program called orion that we uh, use that so that's another example of the mile that you don't have to travel right absolutely so um, making it efficient so that the driver doesn't have to drive extra making sure we don't add um to uh, the inefficiency in the network. I actually have a question. Secondly, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, please. No, finish. And the last one is, you know, when you think about a network, that's the final mile, but we also move it in trucks, right? You've mm-hmm. seen our big uh, tractor trailers running around on the um, highway. That's another piece of optimization we do, which is how do you flow those trucks in the most efficient way from, let's say, California to uh, New York City, for example. Well, I have a listener that just sent me a question and wants to know how far can one of these electric planes travel on a full charged battery? Very good question. Yeah. So, um, as I said, battery technology is improving all the time. As of now, we're estimating um, about, uh, you know, about a 200, 250 mile range that we think we can uh, fly on this on a single charge. Mm-hmm. And it's about a one hour recharge time to get a charge back up again. So, so, but this is only going to improve over time. So I imagine you all for right now, when you start this, it will just be for domestic side delivery? We are starting with it, but definitely we are a global company. So we always look at everything uh, with a global perspective. Are you going to get in one and, and, and have you been in one already if you haven't? Uh, well, next week I plan to get one. I've already flown the simulator, uh, but uh, yeah, I but that's I different plan. when you're on the ground and when you're in the air. <laughs> but uh, yes, I am looking forward to actually flying it. All right, we appreciate you taking the time. So, 2024, we might see some electric planes from UPS. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely, especially <laughs> if you live in Augusta. All right. We appreciate that. And if folks folks want to learn more about it, is there information on your our, our listeners are very intrigued because they're sending me emails. I want to learn more about this plane. I'm like, well, just go to UPS's website. But Bala Ganesh is the vice president of engineering at UPS. Thank you so much for taking the time. Good conversation. I learned a lot. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rose. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. Today, during the White House COVID-19 Task Force News Briefing, U.S. Surgeon General, as we mentioned earlier, Dr. Vivek Murthy, revealed some new data regarding mental health and the coronavirus. This week, scientists found that one in eight people with COVID-19 were diagnosed with a new psychiatric or neurological condition in the following six months and anxiety and depression were among the most common conditions. Millions of people are experiencing symptoms of anxiety and depression right now. And research from the CDC uh, has showed that younger adults, racial and ethnic minorities, essential workers, and unpaid adult caregivers have experienced disproportionately worse mental health outcomes during this pandemic. These numbers are sobering. 
but they are not altogether surprising. Now, we also know that this COVID-19 pandemic has taken a bigger toll on women's mental health than on men. And this was the focus of a recent conversation with Atlanta-based licensed professional counselor Joe Vivian, who specializes in trauma-informed therapy. And we also invited Kate Ferguson, a licensed clinical therapist and owner of Kate Ferguson and Associates. And she specializes in women's therapy issues such as postpartum, addiction, trauma, family and marriage and more. And while both are licensed experts, we always stress the importance of consulting with your own primary health and wellness providers and a programming note. This conversation took place the week of the tragic spa killings here in Atlanta and Cherokee County, so you may hear some reference to that. I do want to begin just with giving you both an opportunity to reflect on uh, these horrific crimes, of course, that occurred here in Atlanta and and Cherokee County, the killing of eight, six women of Asian descent. Um, And and Ms. Vivian, I'll start with you. Feel free to call me Joe, and I'll tell you, it was just heart-wrenching. Um, listening to the news the other night and recognizing that once again, um, people in general, women specifically, and sadly enough to say um, Asian Americans have been singled out. This has been an extraordinary year for uh, hate, violence, um, death and loss. And to go into 2021 with this mass shooting um, did something to me so I could imagine how the rest of our country is feeling right now. It points to a greater need in our country. Uh, There is need for reconciliation, but more importantly, there is need for education. It is the ignorance of people, I do believe, that leads to such acts uh, that are horrendous and create great scars in our country and reminds us it's time to heal. Ms. Ferguson, what about you, your thoughts? Yes, I mean, um, and please call me Kate as well. I really echo a lot of what Joe said. It's just, uh, and I know as a clinician, when I saw the news, I knew that clients were gonna experience it as another blow, another trauma, another wound. Um, And and people are tired, you know, and they wanna know what to do and they wanna know, can things get better? Um, And these, these, these mass shootings, these, these things that come up, you know, they just raise those questions again and again. Um, you know, in the segment right before this one, and, and I had a sec- interview with uh, Georgia State Senator Michelle Isle, and I asked how she was doing in all of this. And I want to get you all's thoughts to weigh in on people who want to reach out, who want to do something. What kind of guidance can you give them in terms of when something like this happens and you have a neighbor of Asian American or Pacific Islander descent, or, you know, or even if you have the black neighbor last year, folks were saying, how can I help? What can I do? And and I'll be honest, you get varied opinions about what you should not ask and what you should ask. Um, Kate, I'll stay with, stay with you. What can someone do to offer that support to members of this community right now? Yeah, you know, it's I love that you raised the point that, um, you know, there's so many different opinions and things like like that about what people need and what people want. So that points to listening. You know, um, if you have somebody in your community, in your life, I I do think it's appropriate to reach out, to acknowledge what's happening. Um, And then, you know, there are, uh, there's a great organization in Atlanta called Be the Bridge, and they do a ton of work around, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, um, whiteness 101, how to build bridge, racial, racial reconciliation. And they have great materials um, mm-hmm. that I've been directing people to this whole year. Um, so. Mm-hmm. All right. Be the bridge. Uh, Joe, what, what about you? Your thoughts? I'm right there with Kate. Listening is our greatest tool, um, followed by empathy. You know, quite often we get uncomfortable with what's uncomfortable. And so we do nothing. But at this time, we have to um, step out of our comfort zone and reach out to those who are hurting. As a nation, we do not do a very good job with cultural competency. Uh, We know who we are. um, And in most cases, we might definitely understand the dominant race, but we don't understand anyone else's race or ethnicity. And so being able to listen is extremely important. Um, Whomever you reach out to is the expert of their life. They know what they need at this time. They know what's important what is important to them and just simply asking 
what can I do? How can I help? Literally does build that bridge. And in most cases, people will cross it and tell you how you can be impactful. Uh, the reality is the fact that you even asked uh, creates hope. Um, it demonstrates love and it helps foster healing. Mm-hmm. And from that, I want to move into what we're going to discuss today, which is mental health and particularly for women, especially for women this last year during the pandemic. And I read somewhere, I believe it was from uh, Dr. Shauna Springer, where she said mental health impact in terms of depression and anxiety was so much greater for women than for men. And the suicide rates are up disproportionately for women. Joe, obviously that is that statement is not lost on you. No. It most certainly is not. Um, You know, beginning uh, at the um, onset of the pandemic, my phone started ringing and it didn't stop until I could not take a new client. And disproportionately, I've always seen women, but the numbers have increased. Um, We talk about depression and anxiety, and those tend to be the cornerstones for mental health. In most cases, most mental health uh, disorders have some semblance of that. But the fact that suicide has gone up is truly um, an indicator of what's happening in our culture right now. And it's not just our culture, it's the world. I, I kind of want to echo that because we, we think small, we think America and America only, but this pandemic is a, it's worldwide and women are being impacted in every single solitary country that's been impacted by uh, the pandemic. The other thing we don't talk about is the increase in um, substance use and abuse. Um, anytime anyone is Amen. feeling hurt, the first thing we want to do is self-soothe. And if you don't have the skills to do it, you go to what has always worked, alcohol, drugs, food. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about sex and anything else that makes you feel good for a moment, but it is just a moment. And so then you're still left with yourself, which then leads to things like anxiety, depression, and suicide and us being aware that this is happening disproportionately with women is a stepping stone to reducing these numbers. Kate, like Joe, did you see an increase too in in women and you primarily focus your your therapies with women? Did you see this increase as well in your practice? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, Really very similar to Joe's experience, uh, just an increase in calls, an increase in the level of emergency calls, an increase in referrals for psychiatric help, medical intervention. Um, And I love that we're touching on um, substance use, the increase in, you know, there's this mommy wine culture and this idea, you know, I work with a lot of mothers and, oh, I'm surviving with my wine, I'm this and that. And, you know, alcohol is a neurotoxin. Alcohol throws fire on our anxiety. And this is another way in my mind that women are actually being undermined by culture. You know, this will make you feel better and it makes it worse. Um, And so, yeah, I've seen that too. You know, a lot more people being like, do I, am I an alcoholic? Do I drink too much? I don't know if this is okay. (laughs) That conversation daily. (laughs) And I've already gotten some emails. And of course, I will not reveal folks names. But here's one that says, Rose, I am at my end. Where do I begin? I I don't know where. Dear Rose, I am at my end. Where do I begin? And that's it. Mm -hmm. So and I don't know where beginning is. Obviously, we all can't diagnose. But that in itself, with this whole year, and coupled with the fact that nearly three and my numbers may be off here. Nearly three million women have not returned to the workforce in this pandemic. So I think that in itself is when you talk about the stress and anxiety, Kate, I'll let you take it from here. Sure. Employment issues, unemployment issues. That also, I, I imagine, I know that has to be a factor in all this as well. Oh, absolutely. And just a comment on on the person who who wrote in to you, you know, when I hear that my therapist bell goes off of if that person is really in crisis, you know, they need to uh, get emergency care, you know, mm-hmm. if, if that's sort of where their mind is. But in terms of, you know, where do we begin and what's going on? Um, you know, an element, I think, of women not of, of leaving the workforce or being laid off is that this pandemic introduced or shine a flashlight on the imbalance of unpaid work in the home, mm-hmm. of of um, unsupportive work environments, um, the mental load of women. And uh, as that goes on, I am hearing women say, 
like you're the person who wrote in, I can't take it anymore. I, I am done. I'm at the end of my rope. And um, assuming they're not talking about harming themselves, mm-hmm. that is when you need to call for a therapeutic assessment, join an online support group, um, call a number. It, it's time. And we should note the individual just sent me another email saying, I'm not there yet. I'm just tired. And this is stress, basically, in, in ca- all caps, yeah. stress. Joe, what do you want to add to that? Well, first of all, it takes strength to reach out for help. Mm-hmm. And so I applaud the individual who sent the email. Just being able to say, I need help is so powerful, especially for women um, and even more so for women of color. Uh, we've been taught to John Henry. You know, you just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and you keep going. You don't have time uh, to take care of yourself. You don't have time to be tired. Uh, you don't have time to to whine, complain or cry. In actuality, you have time to and you don't have time not to, mm-hmm. um, because if you don't take care of yourself, then you're no good to anyone else. It's the airplane syndrome that we all know. They tell you at every flight that if the airbags drop from the ceiling, that you should first put it on yourself before you put it on anyone else. And women tend not to do that in our personal lives. We are usually primarily the caregivers, either of our children, of our our aging parents, our siblings, um, family members, and in a lot of cases, the loved ones who live with us. Um, I'm trying not to mention a particular gender, but Mm -hmm. I think you guys can figure (laughs) that out. (laughs) So we do a lot. We carry a lot. And as a result, prior to the pandemic, we were um, experiencing stress. We average probably 6.5 hours of sleep every night. That's women. Mm-hmm. Kate, I love what you said about the, the, the women in our drinking of our wine. And this is our way to relax. In actuality, wine is also a stimulant. So quite often you go to sleep thinking that you're going to sleep and you don't. It interferes mm-hmm. with your sleep. We have less information in our minds, although there's more information in the world about how to care for ourselves. And the one thing we cling to is I have to. Mm-hmm. And I would say to all women, no, you don't. What you have to do is stop. Listen to the rhythm of your life and your body and pay attention to what it is telling you because the body keeps the score. It most yes. certainly does. And if we will listen to our bodies, we'll see the signs of stress coming on, anxiety increasing, depression weighing us down. And that's the time that intervention is so important. Um, I know I've said a lot, but I, I want to add one more thing to this, Rose, if I may. Mm-hmm. Women are very relational. Uh, we always have been. Even if you're an introvert, you find those people that you can be relational with. And with the pandemic, we have lost community to a large degree. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the isolation feeling has adversely affected women more so than it has affected men. And we've got to learn how to recreate community inside of this pandemic so that feeling of being alone, that touch starvation that we go through, does not exacerbate our mental health. If you just join us, I'm joined by Atlanta-based licensed professional counselor Joe Vivian and Kate Ferguson, licensed clinical therapist. And we're talking about resources for, men, for mental, mental health resources for women during this pandemic. Um, Kate and then, Joe, you can follow up. Is there a self-assessment that one that we as women can do? I know you, you talked about a lot of things, but could there be signs that maybe we are experiencing some type of stress and anxiety? may not even know it sure. because, as Joe pointed out, sometimes it's just, well, this is just the way it is as a black woman, yeah. as a, a woman of Asian descent, as a whatever have you. So how do mm-hmm. we begin to do this self-assessment? And, again, we know that we want everyone to consult with their own primary sure. health and wellness. But through your lens. Kate, you go first. Yes. I'm so glad you you asked this question. And it all relates to what we're touching on here is is women – we are going to, we're going to be tired and we are going to be exhausted and we're still going to parent. We're still going to get to work. We're still going to keep the house. We go, right? We go beyond uh, our energy level. And then we get into this burnout and all of these things. And so I don't know if there's an assessment necessarily for burnout, but what I can say is if you are feeling uh, rage, if you are having sleep issues, if you've got decision fatigue, you, you can't 
you don't know, do I buy milk? Do I buy soy milk? Do I, da, 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 you know, um, if your resentment talking about those other people we might live with, um, <laughs> you know, that less emotional flexibility. And we're not picking on the fellas or other no, spouses, no. but just, you know, <laughs> y'all get out of hand sometimes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's right. Just kidding, fellas. It's all love. Right. It's, it's all, all love. love. Go ahead, Kate. It's all love. Um, but you know, if you're, if you, if, if that list is resonating, you're in the red zone, Mm -hmm. you know, if I, if I, if you hear me saying, you know, you're done, but you still wake up and take care of those babies and get your job done. And then it's 10 PM and you're doing all the dishes in the house, you know? Um, so I don't know that there's an assessment for it, but Mm -hmm. it's sort of like you spot it, you got it. If this list is here, (laughs) you you might see yourself in it Um, Joe what do you want to add to that list Kate you were very thorough with it and she's so right she's spot on a couple of other things that I always assess for when I'm trying to determine if someone is dealing with um, issues of anxiety racing thoughts that's the biggest one where it's one thought after another thought after another thought and it kind of feels like you can't turn your brain off Um, irritability you're snapping all the time at your kids, at your, your, your loved ones, your coworkers. And the one that I always tell people to watch out for is snapping at yourself. What is your internal dialogue? Mm-hmm. What are the words that you're using to describe yourself right now? If you're saying things like, um, I'm so stupid, I, I just can't get anything right. You know, languaging like that is pointing to a greater issue. Um, we already talked about sleep disturbance. That's so important. But mm-hmm. the other one is overeating under eating. And then lastly, losing interest in the things that you used to enjoy. Um, A lot of what we said points not only to anxiety, but points to depression. Mm -hmm. They tend to be kissing cousins. They they run together quite often. Mm -hmm. And so if you see that symptomology along with sweaty palms, uh, palpitations in your heart, um, any of those type things, it's, it's a sign that you need to do more. Um, of course, as therapists, we're going to recommend uh, contacting a professional. But hear me when I say if you talk to uh, your spiritual uh, guidance, that helps, too. Um, if you feel like you need to talk to your primary caregiver, that's also a good source. And you'd be surprised if you're not wanting to go see a professional, just talking with a friend and hearing what they have to say can point you in the right direction. And I got to tell you, and I'm not going to embarrass her about saying her name live on radio, but I have a good friend who sent me a text this early this morning and said, just checking on you. Mm-hmm. That just meant the world to me. And then said she was going to bring yeah. me lunch. So, <laughs> And <laughs> offered plan. to bring lunch from my <laughs> producer, Grace. Can we end this conversation yeah. talking about the importance of checking in on one another? And, and, and I'll stay with you, Joe, and then I'll end with Kate. Oh, wow. You just hit on something there, Rose. It's so powerful. And again, that goes back to what I said earlier, is that women need community, and that's a part of community. Um, I have a dear friend who just lost her husband, and I was literally leaving another service of an older friend who lost her husband um, yesterday, and it was on my heart to call her. And she owns a school. Um, I think it's K through five right now. And called her and she's at school and I can tell she wasn't well. And after we talked, her last words to me were, thank you. I am so grateful that you called me. I needed that at that moment I was going to a dark hole. Mm -hmm. And like you, I've received that same phone call when I've been going through something. Um, One of the things that I do is I literally write down five names every week that I try to reach out and make a contact with either a phone call a text, um, hit them up on Facebook or Instagram. In some kind of way, I'm connecting with at least five people every Mm -hmm. week. And I have to be purposeful and intentional about it because life is happening. Mm -hmm. And so I encourage people to reach out, touch a neighbor, a family member, a colleague. It doesn't matter. One thing I know for sure is that love never fails. Okay. Kate, I'll let you finish up and how we can check in on one another. Yes. I mean, I think 
everything that Joe said, reaching out. Um, some of us have in our burnout, let relationships lapse, make that first phone call and a message sort of, especially to, to ourselves when we're trying to be friends with ourselves and to our women friends when we reach out is everybody feels like they're falling short. Everybody feels like they're messing up. All this is going on. And call a friend and say, you know what? You're doing the best you can according to the energy you have today. You are yeah. not a machine. You are not a machine. Stay in this day, do the best you can. And then we will, tomorrow's a new day. Like that's, that's the message, I think. And just got a text yeah. from my old neighbor, Chris saying, how are you? Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. Kate Ferguson, <laughs> licensed clinical therapist, <laughs> Joe Vivian, Atlanta-based licensed professional counselor. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Good conversation. I have a feeling we'll have to revisit this as well. Thank you both. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. Going to give you a little bit of insight on what's coming up next week in on Closer Look, just in case you're wondering. We will tell you about a $100 million grant that the Built for Zero Community Solutions movement just received from the MacArthur Foundation. And if you're wondering what that's all about, well, we'll tell you next week. And as always, you know, if you missed any of today's show, it's always online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. And always send me an email, rose at wabe.org. Is there something that you want to comment on? Is there a segment that you liked, you didn't like? Is there something that we're not talking about that you want us to talk about? Just let me know, rose at wabe.org. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.